Hello, and welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some listeners might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. I'm your host, Erin, Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Next Reads. Today, I am going to be reading from Better Nate Than Ever by Tim Federley. Tim is a former Broadway star, or at least he's on Broadway, and he has turned into also a writer. And I remember really enjoying this book that came out in 2013. And he's written several books since this one. One is a young adult, and he's also written a picture book about a very energetic kid whose mom gets him into tap dancing because he has so much energy. I will say that Tim is a gay man, and so there are some things in this book that he writes that I feel like it's okay that he wrote them as a gay man. He was drawing on some of his experiences as a child, but... There is some slangy language that is not always positive for referring to gay people. So it's not the F word, but things like that are really triggering or bothering for you. Just keep that in mind. Again, this book was written in 2013. I'm guessing that if Mr. Federley would or could rewrite it he might not use some of the words that he does but maybe not i don't know anyway i just wanted to give people a heads up in case you don't want to hear that word that again it's not the slang f word for gay people but all right so here we go nate foster has big dreams his whole life nate has wanted to star in a broadway show heck He'd settle for seeing a Broadway show. But how is Nate supposed to make his dreams come true when he's stuck in Jankburg, Pennsylvania, where no one except his best pal Libby appreciates a good show tune? With Libby's help, Nate plans a daring overnight escape to New York. There's an open casting call for E.T. the musical, and Nate knows this could be the difference between small-town blues and big-time stardom. Now's his chance to explore the city, wow the casting director, outsing the competition, and hop the last bus home before anyone notices he's gone. No big deal, right? But exciting as it is, the Big Apple can be big trouble. And if Nate isn't careful, he'll be lucky if he makes it through Times Square, much less the audition. Tim Federley is actually involved in, well, let's see. He discovered show tunes in elementary school, prompting bullies to discover Tim. (laughs) Armed with only grit and his father's credit card, Tim fled to New York City as a teenager. He has since worn a Tina Turner wig at the Super Bowl, a polar bear suit at Radio City, and a big fat grin in five Broadway shows. There we go. I knew he was involved somehow. Better Nate Than Ever is Tim's first novel. And so he's also written a picture book about a kid with so much energy that he finally gets enrolled in tap dancing, which is fabulous. All right, some backstory. I'd rather not start with any backstory. I'm too busy for that right now. Planning the escape, stealing my older brother's fake ID. He's lying about his height, by the way. 
and strategizing high-protein snacks for an overnight voyage to the single most dangerous city on Earth. So no backstory, not yet. Just fill in the pieces. For instance, if I neglect to tell you that I'm four foot eight, feel free to picture me a few inches taller. If I also neglect to tell you that all the other boys in my grade are five foot four, and that James Madison, his actual name, is five foot nine and doesn't even have to mow the lawn for his allowance, you might as well just pretend I'm five foot nine too. Five foot nine with broad, slam dunking hands and a girlfriend in high school and a clear, unblemished face. Pretend I look like that, like James Madison. I do, except exactly opposite, plus a little worse. By the way, despite our tremendous height gap, he and I weigh the same. The school nurse told me that once. James Madison was just in before you, she said, grinning like her news was a Christmas puppy, and you weigh the exact same. This is the one attribute at which I'm not below average, body heft. Oh, and I already knew that James Madison was in the nurse's office before me that day because we'd just passed in the doorframe, and he licked the Ritalin crumbs from his lips and lunged at me to make me scream a little. I screamed a little. Luckily, I picked a good key and turned the shriek into a melody, walking into the nurse's office humming a tune. Life hasn't always been easy. My first word was mama, and then the other babies are teasing me. But at least I'm singing my way through eighth grade, pretending my whole existence is underscored. There, there's your backstory. I was always singing. Not that there's any evidence. <sighs> my parents weren't very good at documenting my childhood. My older brother got all the video footage, including his first seven poops. By the time I was born, disturbing the tranquility of Anthony's remarkable career as a three-year-old wonder jock, the video cameras were fully trained on his every sprint, gasp, dive, and volley. Those are sports terms, reportedly. So I always sang, not that there's any proof of it. No high-res shots of little Nate Foster scurrying around the Christmas tree belting Santa Baby in a clarion silver soprano. That's just my imagination of my voice. Again, nobody ever recorded it. But I'm getting off track. You're distracting me, and there is a lot to do. No pressure, but if you pull this off, you are going to be my hero forever. This is Libby, my best friend for as long as I can remember. Two years and three months, specifically. But I hate when stories are hampered by math. Libby's standing in my backyard tonight, lit only by the moon. Although it might actually be the neighbor's motion-activated floodlight. Bark, bark. That's their dog. Yes, she's definitely being lit by their floodlight. Libby, if I don't pull this off and make it back home by tomorrow night, I'm dead. Like my parents will never let me leave Western Pennsylvania again. I'm hugging my book bag, which is stuffed with three pairs of underwear, one plastic water bottle, singers have to stay hydrated, deodorant, just in case I need it on the trip. So far I'm good, but I saw on the internet that a teenager's body can begin stinking at any moment, and $50. $50 should be safe through at least Harrisburg, and once there, I'll take my mom's ATM card out and get some more cash. Oh yeah, I borrowed my mom's ATM card. I'm babysitting it, we'll say. The plan is this. If I get money in Harrisburg, it'll be less suspicious than visiting an ATM in our little town Unofficial motto, 48.5 miles from Pittsburgh and a thousand miles from fun. When she gets her bank statement, mom won't suspect it's me who stole from her. Harrisburg is the capital of Pennsylvania and thus must be crawling with big city criminals. 
I'm serious, Lib. If anything goes wrong, my parents will never let me leave home again, ever. Luckily, they've never let you leave home before, either. So, if you get permanently grounded for this, Nate, you won't really know what you're missing out on anyway. Unless I get trapped in New York without a hotel in a freak late October blizzard. Unless I finally make it back here after my trip and really do know what I'm missing out on because I actually eat one of the famous New York street pretzels. Imagine pretzels sold on the street. It's as if anything is possible. Do they also sell hopes on the street? Do they sell hugs and dreams and height boosting vitamins or hot dogs? I bet you they do. Feather circles my feet in the grass, whining. I'm sure he has to pee. Feather is so well-trained, my older brother did the dog rearing. He's not only the town sports star, but a frickin' dog whisperer too, in addition to donating his old issues of men's health to the library and also volunteer lifeguarding, that the dog only goes when we instruct him to. For a moment, I want to believe Feather's just sensing that I'm leaving, that he's only whining because he's scared, as scared as I am. Go, boy. But really, he just has to pee. Something stirs in the woods behind the house. Libby crouches down and her jeans strain at the knees. We have identical bodies other than the obvious stuff. So we're good on the alibi, I say? Yes, we're good. I'll cover your dog sitting duties while Anthony goes off to win another track meet tomorrow. And if anyone calls your landline, I'll pick up the phone and disguise my voice as yours. Libby's being kind. We have the exact same voice already. When I order pizza, they always sign off by saying, that'll be 30 minutes, ma'am. Let's go over what happens if somebody tries to kidnap you, Libby says. I make myself throw up. That's right. She's theories for everything, and one of them is that if you throw up on criminals, they'll run. She watches more TV than I do. What if I can't throw up? What if I hadn't had anything to eat? Libby smirks, reaching into her own bag and handing me a 24-pack of Entman's chocolate donuts. Nobody knows me like Libby. You're so good to me, I say. Oh, God. Now I'm hopping. Maybe I should just stay home? This is crazy. Don't you think it would be crazier to stay here and sell flowers the rest of your life? The family legacy is a floral shop. Flora's Flora's. Mom runs it now, though we're not making any real money. There's nothing like a business in which your main product wilts by sundown. And tell me one more time, I say, what my New York catchphrase is. It's a... Uh, Gosh, that A-train subway sure is running local again, right? Libby groans and takes me by the shoulders. No, Nate, the key is to get it exactly right. The A-train is running local today. What a hassle. That's the phrase. I googled things that annoy New Yorkers, and I need you to trust me. She twitches her nose, her habit when she's nervous or certain I'm about to screw something else. The A-train is running local today, I say, like a studious robot. What a hassle. I can handle this. The neighbor's floodlight clicks off, and for a moment, it's just me, Libby, Feather, and a sky of rural darkness, the crisp autumn air that leads to adventure, or trouble, a bonfire that burns too hot, or a Halloween prank gone horribly wrong, or a boy with a girl's figure getting murdered in New York City. Close your eyes, Libby says, and when I do, and she doesn't take my hand and put a treat into it. A lucky rabbit foot once, tickets to a tour of Les Mis another time. I sense something new is about to happen. And just as I'm opening my eyes and watching her coming at me like I'm a chocolate donut, 
her mouth open and eyes closed and arms reaching out to me, my brother pulls his pickup truck into the side yard, high beams on full blast. 16-year-olds always drive with their high beams on to make up for their insecurity and lack of experience manning a seven-ton death toaster. For the first time ever, Anthony has saved me from something. What are you freaks doing out here, he says, slamming the truck door and turning his baseball hat around backward, rolling up his sleeve like he's about to get into some dirty work. Keep your voice down, Anthony, I say. The neighbors are probably sleeping. Oh, please, Nathan, he says, circling the entire length of his truck, inspecting it for the tiniest nick. This is a ritual. Aren't you usually belting out the chorus to gays and dolls or something around now? Try loving show tunes alongside an older brother who can bench press your weight. No, literally, before he became too embarrassed to be seen in public with me, right around when Libby dyed my hair blonde, Anthony would bench press me out back and we'd charge 70 cents to the neighborhood kids if they wanted to watch. It's guys and dolls, I'm about to say, but don't. Libby moves away and looks at the stars, probably horrified that she was about to kiss me and got interrupted. Probably horrified that she was about to kiss me at all. We're hanging out here tonight because there's supposed to be a meteor shower tonight, she says, lying to Anthony. I'm the only person she doesn't lie to, and your little brother and I never miss a show. I'm sweating so bad that I think this might be the first time I actually need deodorant right here in the backyard by the garden gnome and weird miniature Japanese bridge mom put in when dad had the affair. Listen, Anthony says, walking over to us but stopping a full eight feet away, like we're going to infect him with terminal jazz hands or something. I've got a huge meet tomorrow in Aliquippa, and I have to be up at the crack of butt. So if you're planning on staying up all night playing your theater games, howling at the moon like a couple of actresses, you might as well sleep at Libby's. I'm serious. I've got to get my rest, Nate. Perfect. He's playing right into the plan. Well, gee, Anthony, if this game is such a big deal, maybe that's a sensible idea. It's not a game, homo. It's a meet. He makes for the broken sliding screen door. Years ago, Anthony wrestled me through the kitchen and out onto the back patio, smashing through the screen, ending up grounded for the first slash last time in his whole flawless life, and disappears within, re-emerging a moment later. Don't do anything stupid tonight, guys. I'm serious. Mom and Dad will kill me if they have to ID your body at the morgue. Anthony is supposed to be watching me this weekend, though I don't know what parents in their right minds leave their gentle-souled 13-year-old in the charge of their girl-addicted 16-year-old. This is not to say my parents are in their right minds, only that they're broke, only that they can't afford a babysitter, let alone the special weekend Dad is treating Mom to on account of their admittedly remarkable 17 years together. I think Dad was just too cheap to afford a divorce, so he splurged on a fancy hotel, someplace that probably has terry cloth robes and heart-shaped goodnight chocolates. Someplace parents like mine will renew their vows and think life can always feel this refreshed from this anniversary night forward until they get home tomorrow and find their younger son was sold into slavery in New York City. Mood killer. And now, with Anthony and Feather inside and Libby and me alone, there's nothing left to do but leave. I'm scared, Libby, I say, choosing to pretend the almost kiss never happened. Why? Libby says, but I can see she's scared for me too, or wishing she could come, wishing she could be the co-adventurer in the fantasy she lit in the first place, introducing me to the magical escape of musical comedy. There's nothing to be scared of, Nate. You're small and scrappy and can get out of any situation the world throws at you. 
Just this past week, I'd been stuffed into a locker by a seventh grade nose picker who is shorter than I am. Okay, your cab to the bus station is supposed to get here in like 10 minutes, Libby says, walking me to my own fence. I told him to come to the bottom of the hill so Anthony wouldn't see you bailing. What would I do without Libby? What will I do? What if I make a schmuck out of myself? What if I forget the words to my song? You've been making a schmuck out of yourself for years, Nate, Libby says. At least this time you've got the possibility of being paid for it. What if I stutter my name? I always stutter my name. Nate Foster, like I'm confessing to the crime of being alive. Let go and let God, Libby says, or whatever. What if I lose my voice? What if Nate, just stop? She snaps her fingers in my face. You're going to sleep on the bus and arrive at nine in the morning. You're going to ask any adult who doesn't look like a murderer which way it is to Ripley Greer Studios. And you're going to find a bathroom and splash down your face and try to run the hot water long enough that it steams any wrinkles out from your shirt. And you're going to be fine. She looks me up and down. Do you have cough drops? Yes. Do you have your water bottle? Definitely. Duh. Do you have your headshot and resume? Holy dance of the vampires, no. Dance of the vampires. Instead of cursing, we shout out the titles of legendary Broadway flops. Dance of the Vampires was an infamous musical from the early 2000s, starring the original Phantom of the Opera actor, this time as a blood drinker. Evidently, it featured an entire song called Garlic. Not even kidding. Okay, okay, let's not panic, Libby says. I must have left my headshot and resume at her place last night when this entire adventure scheme was hatched. It could potentially be very charming to Broadway, she reasons, discovering a boy from off the street who doesn't even have a photo of himself. Besides, let's be honest about your resume. You've only played a mushroom in a junior high pageant about the merits of eating vegetables. She has a point, although I played the broccoli. Also, I don't really even have a headshot, so Libby and I just took my eighth grade picture and blew it up, revealing my horrible skin and overuse of hair product and that blasted underbite that I always forget I have. I wonder if that's what it's like for people born with eight toes or a weird birthmark. If you always forget you're different until you see a photo of yourself. This is one of the reasons I'm actually not so sad my parents didn't document my life. This is one of the reasons I'm glad I left that picture at Libby's last night. The cab pulls up and she hands me a $50 bill. Libby, just take it. Your dad might not be a doctor, but it's not like he shares the wealth. My dad is not, in fact, a doctor. He's a maintenance engineer at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. He cleans toilets. But whenever classmates hear my dad works at the medical center, they just assume he's a doctor. And who am I to ruin another kid's dream? I'll pay you back, I say, with interest. I'll make this up to you. She looks around, checking for raccoons or stray mental patients on the frighteningly dark back road to my house and sticks out her index finger at me. I do the same and we touch them and smile and she says, don't forget to phone home, yeah? Definitely, I'm just going to be gone for a day. I'll be back by this time tomorrow night. You better be. Your brother and parents will be pulling in at the same time, and you know he's going to have a pickup truck full of trophies, and they're going to be ready to kill each other. And there's something very, like, specific about arriving home and realizing your 13-year-old is missing, even if they never notice you when you're, you know, here. You getting in or what? The cab driver calls out from an open window. I look at my outfit, like maybe I'm actually dressed as Superboy. It can just avoid this cab ride altogether. Like, maybe I could just fly to New York and avoid getting mugged in the Greyhound bathroom before I even make it out of Pittsburgh. 
Break a leg, Libby says, hugging me and giving me a quick kiss on the cheek. And text constantly. And here, she thrusts a mysterious manila envelope at me, pulled from her bag. Take this and don't open it till after your audition, after they fall completely in love with you. Thank you, Libby. I will. And they won't. And from just above, a star blasts a trail across the night sky, like a visor of fire on Libby's head, leaving it glowing a finger-painted smear. Something human and touchable and reachable, like maybe I could make the same kind of mark in New York, somewhere that might actually understand me. Maybe Libby wasn't lying about the meteor shower after all, or can sense things about the future that even I can't. Get right back on the bus after the audition, she says, don't go to the Wax Museum in Times Square or anything. Buy me an I Heart New York t-shirt and then just get here. Just get back here. I shut the door and roll down the window. The cab smells like a dead person. What a dead person might smell like if I'd ever smelled one. I'm sure I will on this trip if I don't end up one myself. Libby? Yes, Nate. If anything happens, you are always my favorite alphaba. The cab skids away and I hold my bag close and shut my eyes and say a frantic prayer that it all goes off okay. And when I turn around to wave to Libby, she isn't there. Just that streak across the sky, still glowing, burnt into the Big Dipper like a dare. And that is the end of the chapter. So, it's a very funny book that I hope you enjoyed and that you will pick up and read and also read the sequels Next one is five, six, seven, Nate. And the name of the third one is escaping me right now. But anyway, thank you for listening. And I hope you join me again for another Next Reads. Thanks.